Welcome, everyone, to episode 16 of the Gamify Everything podcast, where we discuss everything in the metaverse and beyond. I'm your host, Marcus Howard, and today we are joined by Kevin Williams. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Oh, thank you for having me. It's an honor. Excellent. I'm excited that you're here. You've been in the creative and technology space your entire career um, and, and love to learn more about that. Quick housekeeping item, this podcast is powered by, by Gamify, and Gamify is the um, launchpad, ideal launchpad platform for anything gamified. So that's uh, the metaverse, that is blockchain-enabled games, that is esports, anything that has gamification in it, Gamify is the platform to launch. So Kevin, for those who are not as familiar with you, can you talk a little bit about your background and how you got into technology space? Those lucky few, you mean? <laughs> yeah, those, those lucky few. <laughs> Only joking. No, sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I I come from a consumer games background before uh, consumer video games uh, actually started. I, I got involved in uh, digital entertainment uh, straight from school. Uh, the arcade industry was starting up uh, around there, the video arcade industry, back in the uh, 70s leading to the 80s. I also worked in the microcomputer game side, jumped from that into military simulation, which is not such a, uh, a mad jump. Uh, the technology for computer graphics imagery was being championed in the university and commercial trading sector. Uh, then got sucked into the arcade industry pretty heavy as the CGI became important in arcade games. And rather than pivoting into consumer games, uh, I got sucked into uh, amusement and then theme parks. I was headhunted by Walt Disney and became uh, an Imagineer for four years, uh, working on the first applications of virtual reality into the sector. Then I worked with uh, infograms as they played around with pivoting into amusement and facility business. And that is a trend funny enough, is coming back again. And then after all of that, moved back from America, worked on some other projects, and then just decided to become a consultant. And then recently, just before uh, the global health crisis, uh, I've gone from being a consultant to uh, starting up a new company called Spider Entertainment. I'm one of the co-founders, as well as the technology director. And Spider Entertainment is taking the concept of digital to physical. Um, we are creating location-based entertainment facilities that are aimed to go into available real estate in the mall uh, and uh, the, uh, the retail sector, uh, as well as doing services for companies uh, that are either developing the latest technology, operating the la- latest technology, or investing. And all of, around all of that, of course, I, uh, I run a scurrilous news service called the Stinger Report, which covers the whole of the immersive entertainment sector, as well as present uh, and write articles. Excellent, excellent. A lot of stuff to touch on there. Uh, And as you're joining us either in Discord or LinkedIn or YouTube, wherever you are tuning in, uh, if you have any questions or comments, you can post those in the chat. Kevin and I can see those. We will answer those um, as we see them. And again, if you're in Discord, we can actually promote you to the stage if you want to be a part of the live Q&A. So feel free to let us know where you're tuning in from. We appreciate your support. Kevin, can you talk a little bit more about the Imagineer experience? Uh, and, and very quickly, thank you, Chuck, for the, the question. We actually have, already have a question uh, in the chat. Uh, 
uh, Chuck Tyler says, how are people having this conversation without mentioning Linden Labs and Second Life? And, of course. and he's right. You know, it's that I he's think right. one, of the, one of the first metaverses, it's over 20 years old and their economy was was globally competitive with, with some countries. Yes. It, it, it's uh, it's amazing that we're having the metaverse conversation and no one feels comfortable about talking about Second Life or Roblox or some of the other, so we say, community-based stuff. But I'm sure we'll touch upon that later. But to your question, uh, it was an honor to uh, be part of the Walt Disney family, to, uh, to be headhunted. It was one of those weird conversations on a phone saying we've got good news and bad news, the project that you came to us with, we don't really uh, want to go too far down, but would you like a job <laughs> kind of thing? It was it was nice to have been the, uh, at that time, I was uh, uh, a leading specialist in a particular part of uh, immersive entertainment, which we now call virtual reality. But at that point in the 90s, VR was mainly the, preserve of uh, the, the simulation industry uh, and some arcade machines. Um, Disney was an education. Uh, I to say it's the university of Imagineering. It's, uh, I came in with a lot of ego and I left with a lot of respect is uh, the best way to put it. Um, I was also honored that they would still allow me to uh, still collect information while I was with Imagineering. Some companies, when you join them, you kind of join the company and the, the wall goes round and you can't really interact with anything else. Where with Disney, I was still able to do my writing and I was still uh, able to collect information and present. Uh, and it, it, it's valuable to understand what a corporation, you know, the largest entertainment corporation has to consider even before they uh, look at new ideas. So again, sometimes the criticism about what they're developing there is so much more behind the decision. And, you know, Disney is not just Imagineering. It is also Disney R&D, who are people that have over 3,000 patents to their name. And then there are all of the other divisions. But uh, the House of Mouse was a, an amazing experience. Um, I'm not sure if I'd go back again now because uh, uh, I'm just too much of a wild monster. But uh, we don't know. Uh, it's great that you had that experience. And I think it's something that, that technologists and creatives would dream of. So kudos to you. It, it, and very similar to the way that, that I was in Second Life has been around for over two decades. So has apparently VR uh, for those who are just now learning about it post Oculus. Can you talk about your experience in the beginning and, and why you think it's taken so long for us to get to this point where I, would, I hesitate to call it mainstream because I think we still have some, some ways to go. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I agree. We have quite a quite a way to go um, to get to mainstream. So, to answer the question, the uh, I was working for a military simulation company, Hughes Rediffusion. We made jumbo jet simulators. We made uh, F sixteen and Mirage simulators. And then at some point, uh, the the company had this weird product turn up in our facility, and you know, we had to sign a large uh, disclaimer and they stuck this thing on our heads and it had all these tubes coming out and it projected laser light into our eyes to create a virtual image and this was amazing you know it's uh, no display it is direct field uh, visual cortex you just hope that the power on the laser light is turned to the correct knob or else 
uh, you get the ultimate LASIK surgery. Uh, and, and that was uh, a derivation of the idea of head-mounted displays. So this is um, 1990, yes, 1990, around that time. And then a couple of years after that, we started to see companies using whatever display technology they could to try and place that onto the headset. So we had CRTs, we had the first of the uh, 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 liquid crystal displays, and that was the birth of virtual reality. Uh, and, you know, headset technology is interesting. The, the quality of that technology was so great, but it was the limitations of the computer power that uh, was holding it back. So, you know, I, I always uh, give was uh, we at Disney made a special uh, headset uh, long, long before I joined the company, actually two or three years before I joined. They had already started to venture into VR, looking at the military and simulation tech. And uh, something called, uh, I, I call it the Disney Ducko Vision, but it is actually Disney Vision because it has a giant beak on it, the headset, and it uses Sword of Damocles wires to uh, weight relief. And the system used CRTs, uh, cathode ray tubes, as its display. And for a period of time, the Disney Duck system, which was, so we say, designed and developed in 1994-5, had the best quality uh, and widest field of view right up to the CV, uh, the uh, DK2. So that shows you how long uh, a period of time. And, and to be honest, VR doesn't go away. You know, VR is part of the, the lexicon of technology that we have to work with, which I like to umbrella by calling XR, extreme reality, cross reality, whatever you want. But all under, under that umbrella, we have MR, mixed reality, we have AR, augmented reality, we have VR. They're all, they're all out there. And the technology carries on. The, the automotive industry and the simulation training industry have been using VR um, since uh, the 90s. Just because it doesn't get the headlines, um, you know, I think a lot of the reason why VR has taken a long time since the last phase, and I look at these as multiple phases, and I say that we're in the fifth phase of adoption, but the reason why we've seen so many uh, of those kinds of problems is because so many journalists and individuals and investors got burnt during the last phase uh, when you know people were promising the moon and were delivering absolute garbage. Uh, that uh, everybody's a little was a little bit gun shy of VR, and it and it took our friends at Valve, and it took our friends at Sony, and it took our friends at Oculus to really get the VR bandwagon, the latest phase of adoption going. Unfortunately, I think I see some parallels there in the metaverse. What you just described, kind of that hype cycle, the smoke and the mirrors, you know, uh, more more sizzle than steak. Yeah, and what steak there is there is very fatty. <laughs> it's it's funny you mentioned simulation software because I've, I've grown up doing those simulation rides, you know, in arcades. I think until recently, as recently as about forty five seconds ago, had not really considered that as part of the VR category. But you're right; it's it's leveraging the a larger kind of wider experience in order to create a, a simulated you know, virtual experience. We we had this phrase back in the nineties, uh, Wendy. There's two types of uh, simulation training. There's the simulation training where you get into a recreation of the cockpit 
or the control system of the vehicle that you're doing. You use an infinity display, which is a projection onto a conca uh, concave uh, mirror kind of system, and it gives you the depth of field, and they use the latest CGI, and that is a, that is a full part-task training simulator. And then you had the VR systems that were coming along, which allowed you to do part tasks, some of the, some of the tasks, but very, very physically. And, you know, there used to be a phrase in our sector, which is what's the difference between virtual reality and simulation? Virtually nothing. You know, that was, that was the argument, but it, it's always been the compute power, uh, the compute power, the tracking, uh, the, uh, physical, uh, the physical representation that has held us back. Uh, and now, with the amazing leaps and bounds of being, you know, able to have a supercomputer in your hand, uh, that we are getting to the stage where what you could do in a full task simulator, you're getting very close to being able to do in virtual reality. It's interesting that you, you know, show your phone is, is kind of the, the landmark where we are with the technology growth. I, I don't see as much in the space leaning towards like leveraging your phone. I know that, what was it, Google VR? I'm, I'm blanking on the name they had, not Google Glass, but like they had the- Gear VR. Gear VR is it, that, so I saw like the, the cardboard box where you could just drop your phone, so it is Gear VR. Uh, <laughs> it, it seems it seems lo-fi, but it, it also seems like, like the most accessible approach to getting that, again, the fabled mainstream adoption. Why don't we see more like that? All right, so I work in outer home entertainment. So my my adoption is getting people to come to our facilities and pay to play, uh, mm -hmm. to get involved, to experience. Where you know there's that divergence. There's a group of people that are here to try and create uh, a easy, accessible, cheap uh, environment for people to do a certain level of VR, and uh, we like to call those the the casual VR set. So that includes the mobile VR systems. That includes really uh, the quests uh, of this world. And then we have uh, the high-end VR, which some people like to call professional VR or high-end VR. And that is uh, using the biggest power of the computer to render a realistic environment uh, and being able to drop people literally in. And the level of fidelity of that immersive experience gives you that fantastic rush of feeling that you're there when you take the headset off. You know, you have that couple of minutes of uh, discombobulation, as it Very were. Well, right? But there's nothing wrong with the casual VR sector. Uh, and there's, you know, nothing perfect about the VR. I, I'm, in, I'm just in the business of if you can do it at home, you're going to do it at home. So we're in the out-of-home entertainment sector. So we have to strive for a higher uh, level of engagement, as it were. And what, and what we've kind of seen is, you know, our friends at uh, uh, Samsung and Oculus um, came up with the Gear VR originally before, you know, the CV1 uh, managed. And they had a system that used a smartphone to create a rudimentary uh, virtual uh, experience, which some people found quite profound. And you know, courtesy of Carmack and the team, they managed to you know, rip the phone from the Gear VR and, you know, put in the processors that Qualcomm have developed and they came up with the inside-out tracking uh, and they developed the Quest. And, you know, between you, me and the Gatepost, I'd seen a version of the Gear VR 2, which was the phoneless version of the Gear VR, back in 2017 as a demonstration. So to now see us here in 2020. 
2021, looking at the quest as, oh, this is brand new. The point. My point is, I need high fidelity. So, yes, you can play Half Life Alex on your quest if you plug in the link and you have a powerful computer. But you know what? I would rather play, if I have to go through all of that, I'd rather play Half Life Alex on a on an index using a high-powered computer and the nunchuck controllers because that's higher fidelity. Well, you know, hey, I can drive um, uh, the uh, you know a Ford Fiesta, or I could drive a Porsche. They're both driving experiences. They both get me to A to B. But you know, if I've got the money, and that's that's part of the problem that we have uh, with looking at virtual reality or looking at immersive technology as uh, dollars and cents. You know, oh, to get it adopted, we have to make it cheap and we have to compromise. And it is that compromise that always scares me because, you know, as as was said right at the beginning when Oculus started going, it's not about good enough VR, it's about amazing or F-amazing VR. Right, right. There's There are certainly limits to what you can do in-home, right? Everyone, uh, you know, is... There's only so much space, there's only so much technology, but you said, like, if you do it out of the home experience, then you, you're able to achieve greater scale and processing power and, and the other experiences. Haptic feedback and, and more interactivity, you know, the limitations of uh, the compute power means that if you haven't got enough compute power, you can't do a high fidelity interaction with other characters. You can't do room scale properly. You know, I know a lot of people argue about this, but when you've got multiple headsets on, you have to have certain types of tracking. Um, and, and again, there's, uh, there's some uh, other issues to consider, which is, uh, the virtual reality experience has to achieve a level of immersion. Uh, and if you start cutting back on that, then you've got the dangerous sim sickness kind of creeping in. We're lucky that, you know, very smart people, foveated rendering, field of view and compute power have allowed us to get away with it. But we still have to be mindful of that monster that lurks in the shadows. Excellent. Excellent. I want to take one of these questions here uh, from James Logos it says, are we worried about one entity controlled metaverse? Um, and, and followed by that was a question from Chuck about, you know, are we already there with Zuckerberg's meta? What are your thoughts? Uh, so, you, you know, know, a lot of people are like uh, not very uh, pro meta or pro Facebook for several obvious reasons. It's, it's my uh, saddest part about this phase of VR that it turned into a tribal, you know, their equipment against my equipment. I, I'm really unhappy that that element of the VR community was allowed to grow and foster. I, I, I think we should all just get along. But no, but seriously, let's let's you know let's take the hyperbole of which billionaire is the best person to to support uh, at the moment. The, the issue is for me, you know, I'm old enough to have read the Necromancers, the uh, uh, Mona Lisa Overdrives, the original Gibson's uh, Quest books that went into the detail of this dystopian uh, future. Funny, they're always set in the 2000s, but, you know, here you are in um, uh, 1989 reading about, you know, the, uh, the sky will be toxic and, you know, everybody wear masks, uh, you know, flying won't be available. And then, a cut, you know, uh, wait till 2021 and suddenly we're all wearing masks and we're acting as if the air is toxic. So maybe we are living that dystopian nightmare. But seriously. Can I get my hoverboard? Skateboard? Yeah, you, 
I've seen I've seen that I've seen one. If you're prepared to cover your floor in uh, copper, I've seen a, a working hoverboard. But okay. you know, to to the point, the the metaverse is a, a term that has been stolen from quite a dystopian um, book, uh, sci-fi novel. Uh, and doesn't really describe uh, what we're trying to build. And sadly, when you try and speak to some of these people who promote the metaverse, they can't explain it comfortably to you. So if we're talking about an, uh, an immersive environment where commerce is undertaken, individuals deal in a unique economy and do all of their transactions uh, and spend days, let alone hours in virtual reality, doesn't exist. We haven't got that. If we want to talk about a multi uh, a multi environment using VR, where people traverse and spend longer periods of time, and even swap uh, items uh, for digital uh, commerce, we've had Rec Room, we've had all of the the, uh, the others. Uh, we, you know, I would even throw VR Chat in there, to be honest. Uh, um, and we've we've had that. So it's how much high fidelity is this a Ready Player One? realistic representation of the Iron Giant and the DeLorean, or is this rec room, you know, minion-esque animation? Or is it something in between? And then along comes Web.3, where everybody, you know, this is like making a stew. You know, first you start off with some decent meat and, you know, uh, some uh, garlic and some onions, and then suddenly McDonald's is being dumped in and a couple of KFC drumsticks. Someone's just emptied a, a bucket of Kool-Aid in there. You know, it is when VR was the last phase of VR, you know, when it was really getting to the hype, hyper hype cycle, everybody claimed that their headsets could do whatever they said. Everybody claimed that their their game worked perfectly and seamlessly as an immersive, immersive experience. And then suddenly when people got called out about it, boom. And I'm just a bit worried, like with the superhighway, the information superhighway. Are we going to have that boom before we get to the reality of web? Mm -hmm. How many people still refer to the internet as the uh, information superhighway? No one. No one. Too too many fingers got burnt in those big bubble concepts about VR. You know, where is Yahoo at the moment? But anyway... (laughs) I think Verizon owns them. Oh, what a what a yeah. journey! And, and and they're looking for someone to buy it. I'm sure. I, uh, yeah, that that's a completely different conversation in its own. But you're right. I think there's there's what is it the Gartner uh, hype cycle? Hype so cycle. You have the, yeah. the, the trough of disillusionment, and and I think to your point, we may have compounding troughs. Right, you've got the, the VR trough and. The Web three trough. It's where what what is the the upside of this? And well, can we have a, a realistic upside? Well, we we do. Business abhors a vacuum. So if technology is promised and it is possible to achieve that, then the vacuum will be follow, uh, filled. And a perfect example of that was everybody hoped that um, the uh, CV1 from Oculus was going to be able to achieve so many things. It achieved a lot of things, but it also kind of didn't achieve some of the hype that it was promising. So along comes Sony. They developed their uh, Sony PlayStation uh, VR system, which can do price point, that can do the simplicity of connection, and it can do content. And then suddenly we have, what was it, last count I heard, seven or eight million 
uh, uh, PlayStation VRs out in the market. That's helped because it's connecting to a console. It's helped because uh, Doddy, uh, Daddy Warbucks, Sony, has deep pockets and can afford AAA titles to go on to that. But they did. They filled that vacuum. And you know, we're here again. You know, Everybody was promising that we would be seeing tens of millions of uh, units sold of uh, the current uh, what I call uh, casual VR systems, but when we haven't, you know, the reason why no one's actually talking about how many Quest Twos have been sold is because uh, we haven't really hit that 10 million goal that was the, the target that they set themselves for the end of last year. Now, there's a myriad of reasons why they haven't hit that target. Um, doing weird Super Bowl adverts may be uh, one of those reasons, but that's a personal opinion. That's mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, what we're actually seeing is now with the announcement today of the PlayStation VR 2, you know, we're again seeing that uh, 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 that move where, thankfully, no matter to the original question, is it right for someone to own the metaverse? Someone may try. They may try and build a wall garden. They may try and build an ecosystem. But nature will find a way. And if, if people want free, non-eye-tracked, uh, secure data, lots of game content VR, they'll go wherever they can get it, and no mm-hmm. one company can dictate. You got me distracted when you said PSVR 2. I have the first PSVR, and my brother actually, and I, I think 2014, we went to E3 at first, and, and only E3, and ironically, we, we accidentally got promoted to like the VIP because uh, we're very tall. We're both six and a half feet tall, and there was an international company from China. They'd never seen twins. And so like they, <laughs> they, they took a picture with us and they gave us the VIP passes. So we got to go up to see the PSVR before it was like publicly available, like just for, it was like for press demos. And I remember my brother putting on the headset and they actually had to stop him. He was doing a, like there's an underwater shark hunting cage, whatever it is where you're in like a cage and then the sharks come around. Yeah. Yeah, and and they had to stop him because he was so immersed that he almost like fell over and hit his head on the, the corner of a table. Oh. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I I remember that one well. I, I was uh, at the time uh, I, I write for a number of uh, uh, trade magazines as well as consumer magazines. So currently, mm-hmm. I have a uh, feature uh, a column in V. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, VR Focus. That shows you how much I know. I can't even. Uh, and but before then, I was actually doing a column in uh, occasional column in Road to VR. We were ushered upstairs, you know, wearing the press badge to try out this. You know, hey, we've got the PlayStation uh, VR, and you know, it was an, it was amazing to see it, especially after considering you know it was ahead of. Uh, all of the other headsets, you know, HTC had just managed to come out first. Then, you know, it was Oculus. Then it was Sony and that kind of febrile nature. And it was it was a game changer. But the big problem was that you had those stupid, clunky, colorful uh, buttons and the tracking was still using uh, eye toy. So, yeah, there was the danger that you were going to fall over and hit your head. But it's the progression of technology. And that's part of what I do is as a uh, technologist, I have to keep an eye more on does the technology work as promised now or could it work that way in the future? And that was the great thing about the Sony system because Sony wasn't new to VR long before Oculus, 
long before HTC, long before Valve entered the VR market. Sony had been uh, playing around with first personal viewers and then immersive viewing technology uh, way back in the 90s. Uh, if you look up on uh, Wikipedia, the Glastron, the Sony Glastron system, you'll see the amazing similarity between the technology that they uh, they showed off then and what we're actually getting now. Shame it just takes a couple, you know, twenty odd years before you get the good stuff. Just between one version and the next, and and you know, I think you, you pointed out a great, uh, made a great point is that you know ultimately the road to success is paved with failure. So we are seeing some of these failed PS, not PSVR, but virtual reality projects or, or maybe even experiments. But the entire ecosystem is learning from those failures or even the successes to make more immersive and, and more accessible technology. You know, I remember. Seeing Malcolm do that in 2014, and then I just recently got my PSVR like a year and a half ago, and I was excited and, and simultaneously disappointed. At, at like, the experience was amazing, but I don't use it because of the load times, and I don't use it because it's like it's a lot of work to set up all those cables, and I've got little kids, and it's it's, it's just not it, it's not realistic for me to use on a day to day basis. You know, it's it's going back to that first experience with VR. Yeah, wow, the visuals are fantastic. These laser lights technology in the face. This is the future. Then you saw the giant half of room box that they had to run this. And, you know, the, the letters that you had to sign uh, off onto, you know, if they blind you, you're not going to sue them. You know, sometimes you've got to take a stand back and say, is the experience worth technology price is the experience worth the setup and requirements and if you're in the consumer business it takes a lot of uh, consideration of can you make a product cost effective uh, and attractive enough for the consumer and you know what the consumer is like you have the prosumers at one end that will just throw money at you and then you have uh, the mum and pups that have to be very careful about how much they you know they spend because of their Economy. And we are on the flip side of this in outer home entertainment. You know, we have to create an experience that is going to wow. And sometimes money is no option. Uh, uh, so no object because we have uh, the issue of we already have a captive audience that wants to be wowed. And if they want to be wowed, they've paid to come into our facility. We have to give them uh, a really good experience. And if that is using virtual reality technology turned up to 10, we will turn it up to 11. And that is sometimes a mistake that people make Look, uh, comparing what we do in the consumer sector with what we do in the out-of-home entertainment sector. We may use sometimes similar technology. We may even use similar content IP, intellectual property. But really, our experiences have to be much, uh, much more compelling and also shorter, where you're trying to squeeze a 30-hour game experience like Medal of Honor onto the uh, uh, Rift S um, and you end up with a, a five-hour experience. We're taking a 30-hour experience and squeezing down the pure juice, the zest of it, to create a two-minute, three-minute, four-minute experience for the theme park and for the attraction sector. I definitely want you to do a, a follow-up on that just to explain to people what kinds of projects you're doing over at Spider Entertainment. Uh, but right before that, some housekeeping items again. This podcast is powered by Gamify, and Gamify has its uh, staking available on the platform. If you go to gamify.gg, you can stake your GMI tokens for up to 225% APY. We are excited to share that we sold out on our first launch of NFTs. 
So they were RPG themes. Stay tuned for the announcement for the next theme. And again, we're, we're not just doing JPEGs. We have interactive uh, NFTs that act as access keys so that you can get, you're able to skip the whitelist for the upcoming IDOs. Uh, but we do have some questions here in the chat. But I, I, again, before we get to those, can you explain some examples of what this turned up to 11 experience looks like from Spider or Sorry, Spider Entertainment. So Spider Entertainment is the facility. Uh, so this is, uh, you know, our key focus at Spider Entertainment is the operation of next generation entertainment facilities. Some people call them location-based entertainment. Some call them out-of-home entertainment venues. Whatever it is, it is compelling facilities that really a theme park in a box. Uh, and these are developed exclusively to go into mall locations uh, and into venue spaces where the audience is drawn in, where they pay to play, where it's uh, a cornucopia of all of the latest technology, not just VR, not just AR, not just the latest R, but also using some of uh, the amusement components that have been especially themed for this environment. But along with that, I also uh, get to uh, offer support and service on projects uh, for companies. So we're using the brain pool uh, the uh, Brains Trust that has been covered, uh, collected to create spider entertainment to develop these facilities. We also do service work. We work with companies that are either breaking into the market or have facilities that they want to include the latest technology. And it's not just, you know, front of house and back of house. There's the stuff that you get to play on, but there's also the stuff that makes the experience much more enjoyable. And, you know, here you're talking about NFTs. We're now working with companies that are using NFTs as kind of VIP cards uh, to get into uh, facilities. So the ticket, the paper ticket is now being superseded by the uh, NFT as a, a possible payment infrastructure. And most of the entertainment facilities don't deal in cash anymore. They're dealing in frictionless payment, either from a mobile phone or from a swipe card. But to some of the immersive tech that we're working on at the moment, free roaming VR experiences, one of our customers is uh, working on a very uh, expansive. So what you've seen with the void uh, you saw, you know, Disney entering the uh, VR market by supporting a particular company with very early embryonic technology. Funny enough, the early Void uh, facilities actually used uh, modified uh, Oculus headsets, uh, CV ones, uh, in them. So we, you know, the next phase of development, and now we're dealing with lightweight, non-backpack VR experiences that you are able to walk around in groups of four and eight and even ten. We have esports uh, with people sitting in simulators, uh, racing car simulators that have motion capabilities widescreen. You can have the version with uh, a head-mounted display, but one of the things about racing simulators is people don't move their head that. So having a large curved screen rather than the encumbrance of a, a limited field of view VR headset is uh, sometimes optimal. We also have companies now developing uh, what, which are the next generation of augmented reality or mixed reality where you superimpose the individual and their movement into the game. So uh, there are companies now developing those type of systems. And then uh, the next generation of uh, go-karts and bumper cars, we have companies using projection mapping to create the whole of the, uh, the, the raceway, as it were. So, you know, when you turn the projectors off, you're just in a giant warehouse 
But when you turn the projectors on, you're in Mario Kart. You know, the, the palm trees are there and the roadway is there and you're driving around in an electric car. So there's a, an incredible gambit of immersive, interactive, gamified systems that we work on. And those are the kind of the buzzwords uh, that describe what is the next generation. As I said at the beginning, it is taking the digital and making it physical. So many people tuning in, I'm sure, who'd love to do a real-life Mario Kart experience. So I know I'm excited about that. Can't wait to hear more. I, I, I was lucky enough to do the uh, Bandai Namco created a virtual reality version of Mario Kart, and that was fantastic. But the limitations were obvious. But driving around uh, inside a large hall with other vehicles while actually seeing the, uh, the let's call it the Mario-esque environment in front of them is it, it, you can taste what the future will be there's a company in tennessee i have to introduce you to the founder uh, his name is joshua nelson a company called emotional ideas they basically yeah. they're trying to create do the the other i hate to call it extreme but the other end of the spectrum there where they want to continue to to maintain the in-person driving experience but augment reality or gamify racing so that you stay on an electric go-kart but, but it's enhanced by uh, a, a overlay or, or these other elements to add the, the experience while you're still driving, basically doing to traditional go-kart racing what laser tag did to paintball. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I've seen a couple of um, electric carts, laser tag game experiences where you're driving around a physical experience. You know, you've got walls in a, one of these, uh, not high speed, but uh, still driving around. And you're, you're doing laser tag. You know, some people like to, uh, like to call it wheelchair laser tag. But I'm not really that guy. The, the issue uh, also is there's a go-karting company that has built a simulator using the latest motion Technology and you sit in a, a, an exact recreation of one of their go karts, and you put the helmet on, and in the helmet has been built the uh, VR display, a unique VR display. And you know the motion, the wind in your face, or where you can feel it uh, underneath the uh, the, uh, the helmet, does does give a new level. And also, it allows you uh, the player, the user, to push it to eleven. As I keep on saying, you know, you don't really worry about crashing into the wall. You don't really worry about ramming your friend off the uh, off the course. And, and those kinds of extremes make this entertainment so compelling. We have a question in from James Lobo. What would warfare look like in a metaverse? And I guess that's that's metaverse plus AR, VR. I don't know if, if you have any insight there you want to share or, or well, projections. Well, projections. well uh, I, I definitely know that uh, as the internet became weaponized, um, the metaverse, or whatever uh, uh, the environment for uh, that kind of commerce and environment will become uh, uh, politicized, it will become weaponized, and it will become dangerous. Uh, all things do. You know, you have to teach your children the, the do's and the don'ts about social media. You're going to have to teach uh, the future generations about the do's and the don'ts within a meta environment. I wish someone will come up with a different word to uh, metaverse just so I can have a sort of non-binary uh, uh, approach. You know, it's the same thing happened uh, as I keep on going on showing my age with the uh, information superhighway. We all started to try, you know, HTML, web, uh, you know, anything, www, just not to have to keep on using that phrase at that time, which was being pushed by Microsoft. 
So we've always been at that point where a company tries to be the first uh, onto this and to make the biggest money. But most companies forget that the reason it's called bleeding edge is because you're sliding down a razor blade using your lower body to try and stop. That's accurate. That's accurate. Uh, we have a, a question that came in from Abhishek. It says, how about bringing, share this so everyone can see it. How about bringing offline arcades on a metaverse platform and making it accessible through NFTs as an exclusive club or for the masses? You, you talked about kind of VIP experiences with NFTs. It says the way money is made both at the user and arcade ends. Uh, are there companies or authorities to be wary of adopting? I'm missing some of the words here. Uh, adopting well, we, AR, we, VR, or tech so that they speak, so it, it reaches its full potential. Yeah, well, we, we have three or four bubbles, or should we say, Gardner hype cycle roller coasters taking place at the same time. And whatever happens when you mix too many things together, uh, you know, something's going to fail. And so, yes, we've already seen that playing old-school arcade games in virtual reality is really cool. You could do that on the Gear VR. Many people remember the, uh, uh, the virtual arcade that was uh, uh, existing at that point in time. Uh, and we're also seeing other companies now creating uh, kind of virtual environments, their own version of Rec Room, where you can place very realistic recreations of arcade machines in there. Linking that to NFTs, linking that to blockchain payments, linking that to an un- unknown commodity that is meta- uh, metaverse is it's all, all pretty scary. Uh, yes, to the virtual arcade, it exists. You can go away and do it. Uh, I can give a link to the company that has just rolled out their request, HTC and PlayStation VR virtual arcade. So that's really nice. I can go in and pretend to be an arcade uh, operator. But when you start getting NFTs in, I like NFTs as a loyalty card. I like NFTs as a ticket, uh, as a membership, as a VIP card. I like it as a piece of art when it looks good. But I don't really want to... I wouldn't like to walk around with a Rembrandt under my arm just to prove that I can get into a nightclub the same way that uh, a large wad of cash isn't uh, exclusive to being able to get your hands on the best art that's out there. That's important that it's, it's not uh, exclusionary, if that's even a word, exclusive, uh, because uh, VIP experiences are important and, and it's okay to, to segment the market. Uh, but I, I think at this early stage, and people are still, again, fighting for this mass market adoption that it, it can be prohibited. Uh, it it's goes back to what I was saying earlier about my sadness about what happened with the VR community. The VR community was totally inclusive. It was, you know, everybody was welcome. You know, we used to have great uh, uh, events where we'd all meet up. Uh, you know, AWE was a great example. We'd all meet up and we'd all go out and get smashed or all uh, uh, have a giant uh, Chinese or Japanese meal, depending on who had the deepest pockets. And then bit by bit by bit, it became, you know, sectionalized. It became the walled garden. It became the, my technology is best and I don't care about the rest. And it's that kind of inclusive rather than exclusive that I try and fight for. I'm not here to say if your Ferrari is better than that Formula One car. I'm not here to say that your flavor of cheeseburger is better than pizza. What I'm here to say is, I fancy Chinese now 
And so I'm going to have Chinese. And when I fancy a pizza, I'm going to have a pizza. And I'm hopefully going to have a good pizza. Don't, don't get fixated over the technology. Get fixated over the experience. Thank you for that. Uh, hopefully, you know, that, that becomes a, a mantra for the, the space because I, I agree with you. I, I'd rather see kind of focus on quality of experience than necessarily like which product is, is better or which community is better than the other. We've got just a few minutes here left in the episode. Uh, before we leave, uh, A, I want to thank you for your time and B, I'd like you to share where people can follow you and engage with you and, and subscribe and, and continue to, to be able to, to understand your insights and what's happening in the space. Well, um, if you want to know more about what we're doing at uh, Spider Entertainment, it's easy, uh, spiderentertainment.com. Uh, if you want to receive our newsletter uh, that goes out to the industry and talks about the immersive entertainment used in our sector, that's also easy. It's thestingerreport.com. Um, if you have any questions at all about the market or just want to know how to get into it, look me up on uh, Facebook and look me up on LinkedIn. Though, to be honest, LinkedIn is really where I do business. Uh, the Facebook um, is just to share information uh, with the various uh, foundations that we support on. And um, also, uh, there are a number of articles that we do uh, every month. Uh, and again, if you go onto our LinkedIn or our Facebook feed, you'll see links to them. Excellent. Excellent. Well, everyone, he's given you all the places where you can find him, connect with him, engage with him, do some business with him. So thanks again for your time. Our next episode will be coming up this Thursday at 1030 a.m. EST. We have Evan Matthews and Adam Martin from um, Macroverse Media. They basically use the metaverse to recreate the um, comic book experience. It's an exciting conversation then. In the meantime, uh, have a great day, Kevin, or evening, because it's, it's, what, five, six o'clock your time? Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. And I appreciate you all for tuning in and for your support. We will see you again Thursday. Good night, friends. Thank you.